In a while, I think. I'm not sure we have sung that song since I've been here, but I think it's an oldie and a goodie that many know. So, Ephesians chapter 5, brethren, if you would please open your Bibles to that chapter. We continue our study through Paul's epistle to the saints who were at Ephesus. Continue to make our way through chapter 5, and today we will pick up in verse 8, and I will read through to verse 14. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 8, and we'll read through to verse 14. Hear now again, brethren, the holy and inspired word of God. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. But whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. It's the word of God, brethren. Let's go to him again in prayer. Father, we are thankful for you and for your mercies upon each one of us, for preserving your word, Lord, because we know without it, we, even as Christians, would still walk in so much darkness. And so we pray that the light of your word, the ministry of the Spirit of God who illuminates it to our hearts would do that this very day, give us a clear understanding of it, our God, we pray to strengthen our faith in you and our walk with you. And again, Lord, we pray you would be glorified as a result of it all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As many, as many of you know, I enjoy raising a vegetable garden every year. Some of you might think that I would probably do a pretty good job of taking care of houseplants. Well, you would, prob- you would think wrong about that. Through the years, I have killed almost every houseplant I've ever tried to take care of. However, I have been trying real hard with one plant that I received by my, from my mother, or after my mother passed away last year. It's a long story, but my grandmother, ever since I was a little boy, had this plant called Jerusalem cherry. I didn't know it was called that until last year. I remembered the plant very clearly. Well, she still had it when she died. Of course, a regenerated version of it over every year. Well, then it went to my uncle, her son, and of course, then he passed away. And then my mother took it upon herself to try to grow all of us kids our own Jerusalem cherry because she knew we all knew about it when we were just little children. So she took my grandmother's plant and placing cuttings from it into these mason jars. Well, after my mother passed, we had to go through all of her things, which my brother and sister mostly did. But when I went back to her house after the funeral... Sitting up in her kitchen windowsill were these mason jars, were these cuttings from my grandmother's Jerusalem cherry. And there they were sitting there. And sure enough, these roots were growing beautifully off of these cuttings. It was an amazing thing. Well, last year I managed to transplant that, those cuttings, my share of them anyway. And I managed to see it grow last summer, even to produce those little beautiful orange berries that when I was a kid I wanted to eat so bad, but I couldn't because they were poisonous. And I, get, I think it's more of a weed than an actual like flowered plant. But be that as it may, I remembered seeing it at my grandmother's house probably by the time I was four or five years old. 
And so I was so proud of myself not having inadvertently killed the plant last year. But then winter came, and I had to bring it into the house, and I had this grand idea of putting it on a pedestal in my bathroom in front of the window. And all was fine until about November, and I noticed the plant was dying. Didn't know what, again, I was doing wrong. Was I giving it too much water, not enough water, and finally I figured it out. In October, the sun was still setting on that side of the house in front of my bathroom window. But as November and December came around, the sun's position was such that it no longer shined directly into my window anymore. And it was dying, and it stopped bearing fruit because it was getting, it wasn't getting the proper amount of direct sunlight. Now, I tell you that little story because as Christians who are planted by the Lord, if we do not, brethren, daily walk in the light as taught in our text today, not only will we eventually stop bearing spiritual fruit, we'll eventually dry up and perish. And it won't mean you'll lose your salvation, for the Lord promised his elect that he would not break the smoldering wick he would not put out. But brethren... Remember, a smoldering wick gives off no beneficial light to combat the darkness. What we will look at today is a very serious matter. So much of our joy, so much of our peace rides upon whether or not we are walking in the light or not. And I don't know if you've ever given any thought to this or not, but the Bible all over the place pushes this metaphor of light versus darkness. It's a metaphor between what is good, what is evil. It is a metaphor between what is right and what is wrong. It's a metaphor of who Jesus Christ is versus who the devil is. And brethren, it is a metaphor between who is a child of God and who is a child of the devil. 1 Thessalonians 5.5, Paul says, You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. And you know of the passage in 1 Peter 2.9, I quote it frequently. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him, listen, who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And so darkness is a metaphor for the entire lost world of humanity. It is a metaphor for all that is bad, evil, wrong, wicked, and untrue in this world. And as Christians, we've been called to live as lights among the darkness not to allow the darkness to overtake us. And we have the exact same issue, brethren, as the saints who were at Ephesus. The devil, demonic forces, ungodly people is dominating the world in which we live in. Like our own culture, spiritual darkness permeates every fabric of our society. You cannot go to the store without seeing these Places of darkness, spiritual darkness. And the command for the Christian church in those days as it is today was not to go and try to change society. The command was to live as sons of light. The light would do the work. And as you do this, it will expose the darkness for what it is, and it will also be used of God to be a witness against the forces of darkness, and it will be used as a witness for the elect of God to be brought in. That's how they are coming in, because the church is the light now, and the elect of God, who God illuminates, opens up their heart like that blind man in John 9, when they're able to see, they are led to the light. And so our task today 
in opening up this passage is to seek to understand what it means to walk in the light and just exactly what it is and how we do it. And so to answer these two questions, I simply have two main points. Number one is to walk in the light, we must first remember our own transformation from light to darkness. And then our second main point will be to walk in the light, we must diligently follow those, uh, these admonitions listed in our text. Uh, there will be five of those when we get to that point. All right, so number one, to walk in the light, we must first remember our own transformation from light to darkness. And this begins, brethren, with, first, with contrasting our past with the present. Notice again verse 8 with me, brethren. For you were once darkness, that's the past, but now you're light in the Lord. Notice that Paul's assuming here that, that he's speaking to, to, to folks who have been, had, who've had a true conversion. If you're unable to make any contrast with your past lost condition, with your present born-again state, then it may very well be because you have nothing to compare it to. Because this is not talking simply about you having turned over a new leaf. It's not talking about you deciding to start living a good and righteous life because you just got tired of what your old life was doing to you. We're talking about something that God did to you. If you're truly saved, then God took you out of spiritual darkness. He has poured his love into your heart. He gave you a hatred for your own sin. He opened your eyes to see the remaining darkness that still lies upon your own heart. And you and I never understood, brethren, what it meant to be a worldly person until God translated us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son. If you're truly saved, you have a contrast to make. You were once darkness, and you know it. Now, brethren, I sense that Paul here is not just offering a passing comment. My guess is that verse 8 is coming from the realization that the saints at Ephesus are a lot like us, prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. And so he is like, don't you remember when you used to be like those worldly pagans? You were among them, you acted like them, you lived like them. Have you forgotten how you were saved, why you were saved? Do you remember when you used to laugh at the ungodly and worldly jokes? Do you remember when you could lie without ever feeling guilty about it? Do you remember when you used to live only for the things of this world? That's who you were. And it's all darkness. Constantly stumbling around, stumbling around in life with no purpose except for that which was temporal. And that's what the world's doing. You and I both know no one out in the world who's lost, who's unsaved, is living for the world which is to come, for the glory of God. But didn't, brethren, all this darkness, didn't we repent of that when we came to Christ? Don't you remember when you turned in humble faith and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, there is a tendency of many Christians to slowly slip back into some of these things. That at the beginning was such a clear part of spiritual darkness from whence we came. I believe that is why Paul ends up giving us that admonition there in verse 14. He says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead. Stop it, if you will. And so, brothers and sisters in the Lord, do you remember when you were once darkness? You have a testimony this morning of this. If you would be awakened to your desperate need to continue to be walking in the light, 
You and I must be able to remember what it was like to have walked in the darkness. If you don't have a contrast, then you have nothing to work with. So not to dwell there, though, as you think about it. Not to return to it, but to remember the vanity of it all. It was all vanity, wasn't it? To remember the fleeting joys of worldly entertainment in contrast to the deeply abiding joy of walking in communion with the Savior. And so, brethren, to remember our transformation, we must be able to recall what it was and is to have walked in darkness. But secondly, we must also include knowing what it is to walk in the light. Because when you were saved and you came out of that darkness, you began to learn immediately what it was to walk in the light. I remember so clearly in those early days going to church, and it was so real to me. Something was so different. It was light. So what exactly does it mean? What is it? What has our Lord said? You recognize certain things by their fruits. And then notice verse 9. Verse 9, Paul says, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Now, there's a textual variant here in verse 9. Some translations, if you have maybe the New American Standard, uh, I think it has it in there, says that it's the fruit of the light, not fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the light, if you will. However, when we read Paul's description here, we see that it means basically the same thing in the end, and that is that the fruit of having walked or, or walking in the light is goodness, righteousness, and truth. This is equal to light, or it's equal to the fruit of it, if you will. And so the fruit of the Spirit, as many of us know, uh, mentioned in Galatians 5.22, it adds many more things to this, but what Paul gives us here is a general description of what it means to walk in the light. And in the end, we know we are walking the light by what it is, what is being produced, if you will. I know that my Jerusalem cherry is healthy and is uh, producing cherries. I, it, it must be in the sunlight. It must be getting enough sunlight, if you will. And so as we remember the darkness, we run away from it, but we run to the light. We run to those things which God says are good, to those things which are righteous and those things which are true. Not what we say is righteous and true, not what we think is good, but what God says in his word is true, righteous, and good. And so God says what is good is is when we speak of building others up. Back in Ephesians 4.29, you remember that? That's good. To not tear down, to not slander. When we don't complain, but we're content with such things as we have, that's good. When we're honest with others, when we do what we say, when we are faithful to our commitments, then we're walking in truth, not a lie, not filled with excuses and false deception. When we show love to our enemies, when we show self-control, not allowing anger to get the best of us, that is God's light shining forth from us. It's controlling us. It's guiding us. It's the work of the Spirit, but it's also because of the divine light, because of Christ in us, the hope of glory. He's the true light of the world. And it's because of our union with him. Now we're shining forth as emanating his light in a dark world. Remember our Lord in his Sermon on the Mount, he looks at his people and he says, you are the light of the world. He's gone to be at the right hand of the Father. And what are Christians? They're little Christs, if you will. They're shining forth his lights. And so we're to be little lights for Christ, shining throughout the world, 
And so this light is showing forth all that God loves and in contrast, all that the world hates. To the Jews, the Jews, you know, hated Jesus because their deeds were evil, but his were righteous. The Pharisees loved the praise of men. They loved worldly power and prestige. Jesus loved sinners. He says he came to serve and not to be served. Jesus loved mercy. The Pharisees and the Jewish leaders, they would rather take advantage of the poor. Jesus was selfless. They were selfish. This is light versus darkness. And brethren, if we ever hope to walk in the light, we must be able to remember the great transformation of our own conversion. Even if we were converted young, you have the same contrast. So that now we really know what is truly good, what is, what is truly righteous, what is true, what is just plain true. And if we can do this, well, then we'll be ready to move to our next step, which is the second main point, and that is that we must then be diligently following the admonitions in our text. And as I said, there are five of these, and we'll try to move through them fairly briefly. But number one, back to verse 8 again, is that we're admonished to walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. And so again, you notice Paul keeps coming back to this idea of walking. And if you remember the other times when I spoke about it, Paul is speaking about this walking as a, a way of life. It's your day in and your day out of conduct of the Christian life. It's just who you are. It's what you've become or what God has brought you to in your Christian walk, your, your level of sanctification. This is just who you are as a Christian. You walk this way now. You don't walk in darkness. You didn't abide in that anymore. So now you're, it's just the way you are. And so here we're to live like God's children. God is light. He's morally perfect. He's perfectly true. He's merciful. He's just in all that he does. And as his beloved children, we're to walk the same way. And we can't claim to be his children and keep walking in darkness, which means we can't keep loving what the world loves and living like the world lives. And brethren, we all know this morning, don't we? Just be frank and honest with every one of you. There's a little of it in everybody. Very, very few saints, very, very few saints ever go through and, and are completely rid of the effects of worldliness and not at least a little darkness somewhere. John 8, 12, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. It's not a pattern. It's not a continual practice. He's, but if we follow him, we have the light of life. We can't follow Jesus and still keep walking in darkness. And I think we all know this, don't we? Just even instinctively when we were first converted, we all knew that it would be very hypocritical to claim God saved us and then just go out and live like we always did. To continue to love and like the same things we always did. Of course, which in the end is seeking our own pleasure. And this takes us to the second admonishment, which is in verse 10. As children of light, we're, we're to find out what is pleasing to the Lord and what is not what is pleasing to us. You'll notice in verse 10 that our text in the New King James, Paul writes, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. The word acceptable is translated as pleasing in many modern translations, and this is what it means to be walking in the light. It has to do with what's in the heart, what is the motive of the heart. You see, when you came to Christ, we didn't 
come in stages. <laughs> we don't believe in this thing of coming to Christ as a Savior, and then we come to him later as Lord. No, brethren. If any of us came to Christ at all, we came submitting to him humbly as Lord. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. And brethren, when we did that, we became servants and slaves of Christ. Do you remember that? Do you believe that this morning as a Christian? And you know this, right? Slaves and servants, they don't live for themselves, but they live for the one who bought them. In our case, it was our precious Lord who bought us with his own blood. So therefore, we don't live any longer for ourselves, but for him who bought us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Colossians 1.10, he writes to that church and says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work. We will never know what it means to walk in the light if in our Christian life we live to please ourselves rather than God. And sometimes we just fall back to it, not even realizing that's what we do a lot. But again, it starts with knowing what is pleasing to the Lord. And according to Hebrews eleven six, what is pleasing to the Lord? Faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, Hebrews eleven six. And this faith, brethren, is simply believing God's word and obeying it. God does this with children. He, he says to the children, Colossians 3, 20, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. What pleases the Lord is that we trust him enough to obey him. It pleases the Lord when we obey God's word and instead of following our own hearts, which is what the world tells you to do. Follow your heart. Or even worse, perhaps following the way of the world. But we just, we follow him. We, we trust him. And when we do this, we show that he's worthy. It shows that we believe he's right and everything else and everyone else is wrong. We have to do what he says. This is the way of light. This is what's true. When we don't obey God's word, we're saying, God, you just don't have it quite right. Lord, I, I know what you said to do this, to do that, but that's not really what I really want to do. It's not what I think will bring me the most happiness. So I'm going to do what I want. Because my happiness in the end is more important than obeying you. That's what we're doing when we walk in the light, when we're not submitting, when we walk in the darkness, when we're not submitting ourselves to the Lord in faith. Faith is what's pleasing to the Lord. Not that you've completed the commandment, but the faith that brought you to obedience to the commandment. We walk by faith. We're doing this. What does God say? He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You, you realize that God's rewards for obedience are much sweeter than the bitter fruits of disobedience. You just, it hits you. It's not rocket science. You know that the joy of the Lord is your strength. And true faith is finding joy in obeying God because he is, again, a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. John put it this way in his little epistle, 1 John 3, 22. Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do thing, those things that are pleasing in his sight. It's not simply the obedience, again, to his commandments. It is the faith and trust that we show him when we choose to obey rather than doing our own thing. That's the faith we're talking about. 
You just do it. You know it's right. You know there are consequences to do otherwise. Well, the third admonishment for us to be able to walk in the light, we must, as the text says, have no fellowship with darkness, verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. We'll get to that in just a minute. So this works of darkness, again, it produces nothing. It's unfruitful. Now, Paul has already told us back in verse 7 not to, have, not to be partakers with the idolaters of this world. Here is a more general statement. Have no fellowship with any, and basically any unfruitful works of darkness. And again, if you have truly been saved, you instinctively know what these things are. You, having read your Bible, you know it is things like sinful anger, greedy heart, forms of sexual immorality, lies, indeed many forms of deception. But brethren, it goes deeper than that, doesn't it? I know this kind of cuts a little close to home, but it includes all that we allow through the eye gate and through the ear gate. What friends we hang out with, how we use our time, he's going to get into that in the next section. But even neutral things like work, our careers, sports, or hobbies can cause the light we need to grow to become shrouded if they consume us in ways that are not pleasing to the Lord. You see, our heart is a, as a Christian, I don't know if this illustration works for you, but it works for me, it's like a large greenhouse. Greenhouse, all the windows everywhere. It's nothing but windows encompassing the, the plants. Nothing around. Everything is allowing light to come in. And that's what our hearts are like as Christians. And it, that light that comes in causes, causes our faith to grow and to bear fruit. And all of us, again, are guilty of allowing certain things to cover a few of those windows up. And the, we have to confess that the fullness of light doesn't show up until we enter into glory. There's always going to be a few windows somewhere that we've allowed a little darkness on. But now, when some of the light fails to get to the plant, we know what happens. The plant is stunted. Too many windows are covered up by darkness, and the plant will cease to produce fruit. Too much darkness, and the plant will wilt, and the plant will look dead on the outside. And, of course, as I said earlier, if you're a Christian... A smoldering wick he will not put out. But brethren, again, smoldering wicks will never produce enough light to bear fruit. Listen to me, brethren. I know this idea of having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness has often called many people to think that what we're saying here is that you ought to just go out and live in a convent somewhere. Just get away from anything that's tempting you. Get away from anything that's, that's part of darkness in the world in which we live. That is not what the Bible teaches Believe me when I say every convent out there around the world has its own share of spiritual darkness. To have no fellowship with darkness does not mean to cut yourself off from the world, but to not participate in its unfruitful and spiritually dark ways. Live in it, but not be of it. Brethren, everything you and I do, whether having fellowship in darkness or have fellowship in light and God's light, we're going to be doing one or the other. It is a lie from the devil to convince yourself that there is a middle and a neutral ground for you. There isn't. It's just the two. The devil is the prince of darkness. Christ is the true light who's come into the world. And we will always, every day of our lives, end up having fellowship with one or the other. There is no third option. It doesn't exist. We're always either opening the blinds to let the light in, in our little greenhouse, or we're pulling blinds down because we want to have fellowship with dark. 
And if you're here without Christ, of course, you don't like the light. The Lord says you don't like the light. John 3, this is condemnation that light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And everyone practicing evil hates the light and doesn't come to the light. Lest his deeds or her deeds should be exposed. We're going to get to that in a second. But then he talks about the, the, the Christian. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they've been done in God. You own it. You own God. You want God to shine the light of truth on your heart. You want him to tell you what to do and what's right and what's wrong. You want to be saved from this condemnation? Well, then you must come to the light. You must come to Christ. It's interesting. If you look down at verse 13 again, he says something here that's a little bit, not every commentary I read had a good same answer on it. He says, all things are exposed and made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. What is that? What makes manifest is light. The American Standard says, for everything that becomes visible is light. Well, one, one uh, commentary didn't want to be dogmatic about it, but he says that it's possible that what Paul is speaking of here is the, the influence of the gospel to save sinners. But the light of the gospel, everything that becomes visible is light. That is just like what Jesus said in John 3. You come out of the darkness. If you come out of it, then you're light. The effects of the gospel has brought you to new life. And this is what we preach here is we want you to be saved. We want you to come out of the darkness and to be saved. And then we offer this invitation every Lord's Day, God willing, to anyone among us who's not a Christian to come to Christ. Now, brethren, as we consider the works of darkness, Paul says that this is so serious, so serious, that he says that it's even shameful to even speak of those things done to them in secret or done by them in secret. How sensitive Paul's heart was towards these things. The problem with many of us, brethren, is that we're, we're so surrounded by so much darkness, we have covered so many windows in our little uh, hearts, our, our greenhouse, our hearts with it. Many of us don't even feel shame anymore. When some stuff that is dark around us goes on, shows that we used to watch, we felt guilty watching, now we watch with ease. Many, many Christians today would feel very, very uncomfortable hanging out with Paul, much less the Lord Jesus himself, but Paul. They would come around him, I could see it now, Paul, you need to just loosen up a little bit. Come on, Paul, nobody expects you to live this radically before God. It's okay, Paul. God understands. And then a little more darkness comes in. Well, if you think that way, then you won't like the fourth admonishment at all. Because the fourth admonishment, Paul says, not only that we should we not fellowship with any darkness, he says we're admonished here to expose it. See it in verse 11? They have no fellowship with unfruitful dark works of darkness, but rather expose them. Verse 13 again, all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. Now, brethren, listen to me. There are two ways Christians expose darkness. Number one is the general way. The general way is by our lifestyle. Again, it's your walk. There's no question as we think about this idea of walking that Paul is saying by, by our holy, good, righteous, and truthful lifestyles, this is just who you are as a Christian. You don't bend. You don't compromise. You just live for the Lord. And that is going to expose the world's darkness around you, whether it's at work or whether in your family or wherever you are, those who are not Christian. 
I remember, maybe you have some of the, some of you have the same testimony. Uh, I used to work construction as a carpenter, and of course, the language used on job sites was just absolutely horrible. I didn't even know how bad I was, but I was converted, and my coworkers began to notice that I didn't use foul language anymore. And it wasn't long that they were beginning to pull back of using it themselves in front of me, which I appreciated. And they said that the reason that they didn't do it is to respect me, which I'm glad it was a part of it. I think it was part of it. But looking back now, the other part was that they knew by me not cursing, when they did, they knew then in that moment in their hearts, it made them look bad. They didn't want to feel the guilt of manifesting themselves as the one who spoke with vulgarity. Because when I wasn't doing it, by virtue of me not doing it, it was light. They can recognize, brethren, as we walk in the light, we give off God's light. It exposes the darkness around us. When we don't do what they do, they know that what is being communicated in that moment is if you're not joining with them in their activity, you must be saying then that what they are doing is sinful. I didn't tell them speaking like that was sinful. I just didn't do it with them. But it communicated it nonetheless. It exposed them. And this is why the world hates Christians. This is why it longs to get us to compromise. They don't like that guilty feeling, so their goal is to shut us down either through compromise or through force. And as we went through the book of Revelation, that's what's been going on for 2,000 years, and it will continue and get worse even toward the end. The harlot will try to get us to compromise, and the beast will seek to destroy us. It was this way for the brethren at Ephesus, and it is still that way for us today. This is what they did to the Lord Jesus, whom they killed, whom the Jews hated. Why did they kill Jesus? Because they made him, they, he made them feel guilty. He was constantly shining the light back on them. I love the way you just read through the Gospels, and they try to trick him. And then he just turns it all over on them and puts the light right back on them. And then the crowds begin to mock and laugh in, the, in their hearts. They didn't do it publicly because they knew they'd get in trouble. But they knew it. This is the root of all Christian persecution. It's the light. The devil tried to get Jesus to compromise during his temptation in the wilderness. When that didn't work, the devil tried to stop Jesus by lying about him and then having put him to death on the cross. But brethren, Jesus did more than expose their darkness by lifestyle. Secondly, he also verbally communicated their sin to them. I know I hear a lot of Christians use the lifestyle walk, and it, it's true. I don't deny that. That's what I said. It is the lifestyle. It will expose. It will bring light. But that's not where we, we don't stop there. That's the easy part in some ways. But brethren, listen to me. It is not our mission to go around howling against every sin everyone's committing in front of us every day. If we did that, we would do nothing else in the world. I mean, can you think about it in your home that every time I saw one of my daughters sin or my wife sin or Rose sin, that's all I did all day long. And of course, I spend more time talking about my own if I call out all of it. Well, whether it's our neighbor, church member, or the government, there will be nonetheless times when we must give a defense to everyone who asks us for the reason for the hope that's within us. There will be times, brethren, we will and we must bring out more light by what we say. There came a time when John the Baptist 
called out the darkness of Herod, and it cost him his head. And certainly, brethren, we're commanded to preach the gospel to all. And the gospel is offensive to sinners, but we dare not stay quiet because they are offended. Oftentimes, as a Christian, when you know you were supposed to say something and you didn't, you just say, well, I'm just trying to live it in front of them. That only goes so far. At some point, brethren, we've got to turn the light up a little more with our words. Gospel light. We're called to spread the gospel. We're called to spread it in hopes that sinners can be delivered from the darkness, just like it once delivered us. We don't preach the gospel just to expose the darkness for darkness' sake. We do it to bring them into the light that they might be saved. Brethren, our last admonishment in verse 14, and this is that we are to shake off ourselves, we shake ourselves off from any idea of compromise and place of neutrality. Notice it here. If we're ever to hope to walk in the light, verse 14, therefore he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. The scholars through the years have not been able to come to consensus as to what Old Testament text Paul might be referring to. It's, it's obvious in some of our study Bibles, it's, it's written maybe in italics or written separate out to show that it is an Old Testament text. We're just not sure which one. Most believe it is Isaiah 61, though we cannot be dogmatic about it. But it seems to me, whichever one it was that he was quoting from, that it's speaking for itself in many ways. Paul is saying, wake up. Shake off and run from this darkness, from any temptation of worldliness. Throw it off. You're children of light now. You have no business fellowshipping with the darkness. Paul says something similar to the saints at Rome in Romans 13, 11, And know this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. Brethren, we're all drawing closer to the grave. We're all drawing closer to the end. Verse 12, Paul says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Based on the reality that your life and my life is so brief, don't mess with the dark. Don't think you got a little time to enjoy it, a little time to mess with it. Think opposite. Think that one day soon you're going to see the Lord in blistering light. You don't want to have anything to do with it. So, brethren, as I said, this is a very serious issue for anyone claiming to be a Christian. We cannot play around with or act indifferent to the darkness that seeks to invade the greenhouse of our hearts. It would see, if we would see growth in our faith, if we were to see God glorifying truth in our lives, we must shake off all those shades of darkness that block out the light of God's truth. Now, brethren... These things obviously can fill us with another 60 minutes of applications. Well, let me conclude with a few of them with the time I have left. Number one is this. If we, are to walk, if we would walk in the light and avoid fellowship with darkness, uh, brethren, it's the same old thing. It's the main thing. We're going to have to saturate our hearts with the Word of God. The Bible's clear about this, isn't it? You know these verses. Psalm 119.9, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Verse 11, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. You you and I have no defense against the darkness that invades us, encroaches upon us if we don't have the word in the greenhouse. We don't have the fertilizer in the soil of the word of God. And so if we're to push it away, we have to fill our hearts 
with the light of God's word. There's a messianic prophecy in Isaiah 50. And it's interesting. I never saw it until I was reading this week. It's about the Lord, but it's about his own discipline in studying the word and reading or having the word. It says in verse 4, the Lord God has given me, Father speaking to the Son, the tongue of disciples. This is from the New American Standard. That I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He wakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to listen as a disciple. Christ, too, in his humility and in his humanity, had to practice the discipline of daily listening and filling his heart with the word of God. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And I know you're busy. And I wish I could give you some other kind of application or some kind of thing to say that you could get to the light uh, an easier way, but there is no shortcuts, brethren. It's line upon line, precept upon precept, daily saturating your heart with the Word of God, not just looking at it and reading it, but digesting it, believing it, obeying it, and the light comes, and you don't stumble. The darkness can't get in because the Word of God is guiding you. The light of it guides you. Another application is, remember to do that which is pleasing to the Lord, and you will be walking in the light. When you read the Bible, when you study the Bible, abandon everything to obey it. This is easy for me to stand up here and preach, but this is what I've got to do too. Just throw yourself on that word and just, just do what it says. And just simple, childlike faith. God says it. Just tell yourself, I'm got to do this. God said, do it. I'm not going to do this because God said, don't do it. And you just commit yourself to that. I'm just going to believe the word. It may not make me uh, win a lot of friends and influence a lot of people, but i I got to do what God says. You shut all the other voices out, and you bring the one voice of God's word in, and you just do what it says, and you'll be in the light. Don't argue with it. Don't try to look for ways to reinterpret the clear commandments. Don't try to philosophize your way out. Just obey it. I'm convinced that many today who who thrown off the fourth commandment, have done so for this very reason. They don't want to abandon it because they just really, at the end of the day, just don't want to have to have the discipline to keep it. So brethren, let us just abandon ourselves to obey no matter what the cost. No matter the cost to yourself or even to those around you. Tell yourself you're not your own. God owns you now. You're his. And if I do what is pleasing to him, it doesn't matter what else or who else I do please. And as you know how it goes, if you don't please him, it'll never matter who else you try to please. Just by faith. Just do what it says. It's not that hard. And brethren, I remember when I first became a Christian, this is how I lived. And then I got educated. (laughs) And then now the struggle seems to be harder than it was in the early days. I remember thinking, going to, I told you the story many times, going to church on a Wednesday night and and I heard the guy talking about tithing, and it, I thought it was a Greek word. I literally thought it was a Greek word. But the couple that I went with that night told me what it was. Told me what I was supposed to do. I just started doing it. I didn't, I mean, it's not that I don't have that issue with other things in my life. I'm not trying to set myself as the, as the perfect end all of all of these sayings, brethren. But this is an example of all of us have to just come to the word, just, okay, the word says it. 
And it's not about whether you feel like obeying it. If you wait too long, you won't feel like obeying it. But it's faith, and this is what pleases God. Well, the third application, and that is with all of your heart, convince yourself, because this is true, no matter else, matter w- nothing else matters, brethren, in your life or mine, if we're not walking in the light. Tell yourself, because it is, again, it's absolutely true, there is no safer place, there's no place of true joy and true peace than when we're walking in the light. That is because, brethren, there is no fellowship with Christ. There is no fellowship among the brethren if we're not walking in it. You're miserable. This is the message, John says, 1 John 1, 5, which we have heard from him, who, and we declare to you that God is light, and him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. Well, he goes on in verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, listen to this, We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's the joy of a clear conscience. Of brethren gathering together with clear consciences. This is the light we're seeking. Brothers and sisters, are you walking in the light? Does his word govern your thoughts, your actions? Again, I know, well, none of us do this perfectly, but whatever... Wherever we are walking with God, may God give us the grace to walk back into the light. There is forgiveness of sin. There's forgiveness of all times that we've had uh, fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. As I've said, every one of us have a little struggle somewhere, probably. But listen, the answer to our misery, to our unhappiness, to our discontentment, is to never keep living in the darkness. You're never going to find fruit there. No joy. And that hole that you keep making for yourself, the devil just keeps helping you to dig deeper and deeper until, in verse 14, you wake up and you just realize, you tell yourself, a faithful, disciplined walk with Christ is the only way to cast off this darkness and get me back into a place of peace and contentment. You're sick of the misery. You turn to Christ and he forgives you. Smoldering Rick, he will not put out. Indeed, he will blow upon you with forgiveness and truth and lead you once again to burn brighter and brighter until one day you will shine light among men and glorify your Father who is in heaven. If you're a Christian, you can get there. But listen carefully. None of these things will be easy or painless. But you must tell yourself, because it's true, there is much more pain living in the darkness than what it takes to walk in the light. Jeremiah Burroughs says there's more evil in the least sin than there is in the greatest affliction. Why is this true, brethren? Because when God's pleased with us, he will make even our afflictions to turn out for our good and our joy. But when we walk in the darkness, we're walking contrary to God, and nothing but judgment and chastening and misery will be our end. And, none of, and all of us know, have a testimony about it. Dear brethren, this is for all of us. If we would bear fruit, if our faith is to come alive and bring us joy and peace, we must bring the plant of our hearts into contact with the sun, the S-O-N. Brethren, may God help us to walk in the light, even as he is in the light. Let us pray. Our Father, we're thankful that Christ is our light.
that he's preserved the word, which is the light for us to live by and to bring us joy and happiness, even in a fallen world full of corruption and misery. God, that you have promised within our hearts, no matter what goes on in this world or even providentially in our own personal lives, there's a peace that passes all understanding for those who walk in the light, who walk with your Son according to his truth, your truth. Your word is truth. Lord, bless these, your people. Encourage them today, our Father, we pray, to saturate their hearts with your word and to flee the darkness that has invaded their lives wherever there may be any. May we be a congregation full of joy and peace and contentment because indeed, Lord, we walk in the light even as our Savior has shown us this day. Glory be to his name, we pray. Amen.